You are listening to the Hospice Chaplaincy Show, a show where we talk about psychospiritual and psychosocial aspects of end-of-life care. And now, here is your host, Saul. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Hospice Chaplaincy Show. I'm Saul Ebema. I have two special guests for you today, the authors of What to Do When I'm Gone, A Mother's Wisdom to Her Daughter. Our first guest is Susie Hopkins, a retired journalist who worked for four Northern California newspapers, then founded and ran a community magazine in the Sierra Foothills for 10 years. And Harley Batman, she's a writer and illustrator based in Los Angeles. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, The New York Times, BuzzFeed, and many others. Welcome to the show. For the sake of context, uh, let's start with Susie. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up on the East Coast in very rural Maryland in in farm country. My dad was a a career military, and we um, just grew up uh, out in the country and then came to California when my parents divorced, and I've lived here since the 1970s, and now I've migrated up to Northern California a a number of years ago and um, went into journalism and... uh, became a newspaper reporter, then a newspaper editor, then I had my three children, and then I uh, started a magazine for people 50 and older in our area, and that I did that for 10 years, and it expanded across um, the region and um, interviewed a lot of elderly people, which sort of enhanced my, my interest in this topic, in, in uh, death and dying, and also all issues uh, health and psychological on on uh, people as they age. So that that's where where my interest really became peaked in these topics. And you, Haley, I know Mom might have broken a little bit of your context. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was uh, raised in a small town called uh, Sonora in Northern California, and that's where that's where you know, my parents met at the local newspaper and, and where we were, me and my two brothers were raised. Uh, so very, very small town, grew up on top of a, a rural mountain. I was always interested in writing and drawing. And I think it definitely impacted me to see my parents both as working writers. I never thought of myself as an artist. I never thought of myself as that would be my career. I I went to college and I studied writing. And then outside of that, I, I started to draw more and kind of realized midway through college that illustration was a job and working with writers was something I always loved. So basically made illustration my world and have been uh, an illustrator for over 10 years now um, Mm. and have worked for publications, have been freelance, have uh, published books. Your book, What to Do When I'm Gone, A Mother's Wisdom to Her Daughter. Susie, I feel like uh, we are all your children now. This book is giving a lot of families permission to talk about death, dying. And what I like about it is that you take the concept of continuing bonds into a whole new level where you continue in death to advise uh, a child. So what is the genesis? One, Both of you, this is a question for you. What is the genesis of this work? 
Well, Hallie is the one to, to best answer that because it, this would not exist if she hadn't demanded that I put down my advice. So Hallie, do you want to share how it came about? Yeah, so um, growing up and, and in our family and because, you know, my parents are these, you know, curious writers and my mom having the interest in, in you know, talking about the things people don't talk about enough, aging, death, dying. Uh, death was never a subject that our family shied away from. It was very commonplace conversation. And also a dark sense of humor was sort of a part of that. Um, so the idea for the book originated from a night when I was around 23 and I was trying to fall asleep and I was doing that thing you sometimes do when you're lying awake at night where you just kind of mentally rehearse your worst fears and one of mine is losing my mom and in the mental rehearsal I would normally imagine like the phone ringing or something and being like someone breaking the news like oh your mom died and the shock of that and that that would be the fear that that would be the the thing that I would rehearse and on this night I sat with that and then I kept playing out the tape of what happens hmm. and sort of it it occurred to me viscerally for the first time that not only would I lose my mom, but that my life would continue after the the event, um, after that horrible, you know, moment of realization that it's not like my life would just also end or mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't know what I imagined. I think it just felt so theoretical to me. And I think for whatever reason on this night, I just kept imagining like, oh, I'll have to continue to walk around this planet without her. And hmm. that felt so scary to me. It felt like I would be paralyzed. Like I wouldn't know what to do. And I came up with an idea and then fell asleep and then in the morning over breakfast told my mom the whole thing I'm terrified of what's going to happen if I if you die and I I just would be paralyzed but I've got an idea I want you to write a book that starts the moment you die and gives me instructions on what to do so that I don't have to be without your advice so that I don't have to be just paralyzed. If I'm feeling paralyzed, I'll at least have a note from you that says, here, this is, this is what you should do. Um, and my mom uh, laughed and it was, I mean, I think we both were amused by it and I was, it was funny, but I was also very serious that I, I wanted this. And my mom was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I love it. Got it. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it. I've already got some ideas. She's like, 
She's like, I'm on it. I'm on it. I was like, okay, great. And then uh, I wound up, I was living at home at the time and I wound up moving to New York and, you know, pursuing more illustration and, and starting to work and getting closer to working in, in books. And in the meantime, when I would talk to my mom every once in a while, I'd be like, mom, what's up with the book? Are you writing it? Like, what's going to happen? Like, I need you to, I need you to write this book for me. And she was like publishing a magazine at the time. So she was like, ah, it's all in my head. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. (laughs) I was like, mom, you're going to get hit by a bus and I'm not going to have the book. I need you to write this book for me. Time is of the essence here. Mm. And she she had too much on her plate to to really just dive in <laughs> of her own accord. <laughs> so she she was coming out to the East Coast to visit me for my birthday. And we were going to take a trip up to Maine and stay in a cabin together. And I plotted that I was going to bring my laptop and that we were going to start the book together and that this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I, if I had to force it to happen, it was going to happen. So that's what happened. We, we, after years of talking about it, started to work on it in Maine. And it began with me asking my mom questions and recording her answers and we both saw it start to take shape and and that's how that's how the book began interesting uh Susie Harley says that in the in your home the topic of death and dying was natural how, how did it happen to be like that well I, I think it happened to be like that because I grew up in the exact opposite way where the topic was was uh, not discussed. I I had a, a brother that sadly um, died from suicide in his at age twenty three, and the the grief surrounding that and the lack of really talking about it. Um, and uh, so it was a it wasn't a forbidden topic, but it was clearly something that nobody we just had sort of a cone of silence around the topic in our house and I uh, for whatever reason my personality is such that I just thought that's crazy I want to talk about it nobody else seems to want to and they because the grief was so great they just couldn't bring themselves to so I kind of vowed that I would raise my kids uh, able to talk about all these more difficult topics and then interviewing a lot of elderly people, some of whom also uh, were only able to open up under interviewing later in life and found it cathartic. You know, it's very freeing to be able to share how you felt, how you feel now, what your fears are, what your your joys were, you know, all those topics that um, are, are helpful. And that was, so it was a um, I believe that we should talk about everything all the time. Part one, I like, you know, what I like here is uh, in day one, you said make for haters. Now, <laughs> you've just died. And the, <laughs> then you talk about food, uh, this ritual of making for haters. Talk to us. I, I find it to be really profound that, you know, the making of food becomes that ritual in moments of grief. 
Talk to us about that. Well, my my thought in in writing that, I, I mean, at the end of that little opening segment, it says, uh, do you feel better now that you've made fajitas? And uh, the answer is no. So have it pour yourself a large whiskey. And it, <laughs> the, 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 the book has um, recipes included because food is part of ritual and remembrance of of uh certainly in our family and so many families sharing that and so uh it wasn't i don't really expect somebody to be making fajitas as soon as they learn more likely you're on the floor with your grief but it was meant to be sort of an opening salvo to say that life goes on and and um and that no, it's not. It's going to be. It's going to be very difficult. But it was a, kind of a meant to be a funny opening. And the recipes really throughout the book are scattered as a way to to say that that's really how we connect much of the time. And it has so much family history woven into those. And the recipes aren't written traditionally. They're uh, um, written as if we're having a chitty chatty time in the kitchen and I'm telling you how to make the chicken pot pie because that's how we shared a lot of special time during our life. And I think a lot of families will look back and, and would have a different representation of food, but food still is integral. So that's why, that's why it's included. No food. I, I like it. It's, it's really, I find it. I know you were meant you're trying to be funny at the beginning. It's really powerful because Sometimes in moments of grief, we forget to eat. We don't become hungry. But the idea of, you know, encouraging yourself to make this uh, recipe that mama's left behind, it, I think it's a powerful ritual in beginning the process towards healing. So, Harley, you're working with mom. I know mom is still here. And this book, has a, has, it can be emotional. If I were to sit down and write to my two kids something like, I think I would begin to cry immediately before I pen anything down because I begin to imagine what I'll be missing, either important milestones in their lives, whether it's their marriage or their child, birth of their children. So I begin to think about what I'll be missing and I'll be in tears. But you're working with mom. How, how were you processing this? For me, the feeling of, that that original feeling of uh, that I that I would be paralyzed losing her. I felt like this book was important to work on because it was like even if I don't make the fajitas, <laughs> I have my mom's words to like I, I love it. she's just talking about how she would cut the tomatoes and uh there's something incredibly relieving like the word relief comes to mind at at talking about this and for me when when we were working on it I mean a lot of it was it was fun it was funny it was fun to to like be like, mom, okay, like, what if, what about, what if I like have something that I want to tell you, but you're dead? And then my mom, like, like the way that we are for some reason, like there were absolutely moments where we both felt really emotional 
But I think in general, working on the book felt like such a creative, it's almost putting aside, it's almost saying, all right, yeah, this is going to be horrible. So let's prepare and let's get everything down. And, you know, even kind of debating on things like, I remember we got in a fight when we were working on it because my mom was like, I asked her that question. I was like, well, what if I have something I want to tell you, but you're dead? And she was yeah. like, oh, well, just uh, just text me. I was like, so you're going to still have a cell phone? She's like, yeah, just keep the just keep the phone activated. I was like, mom, that's insane. No, we're not going to do Like, <laughs> we got in this big fight. And, the you know, fighting with the person who you love so much that you're forcing her to write a book for you. I mean... Yeah it's it's it was really fun and it's still it's fun that that we got to do this together and that we that we work together in in the way that we do I think that the depth of the topic is kind of where my mom and I both feel at home uh when you're saying it when it's all out in the open it doesn't feel so unbearable I think that feeling of oh, I would cry, like comes mm. from how much we don't get to talk about this. And when you let it in and you do talk about it, and when it's a book that you're actually working on for a year or two years, yeah. then it starts to be this thing where it's like you can frolic in it now that it's not a secret anymore. You can you can fight over the minutia of it because it's all out in the open. And I mean, it reminds me of when you're walking through like sometimes when I'm walking through a graveyard, I feel so at peace and I feel kind of like extra alive because it's being said like in my, so I'm surrounded by it. There's some kind of relief of like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. We die. And the, there's no more pretending. And I think that that working on this together was such a, a gift because we weren't pretending we're not doing that thing where it's like mommy I love you and it's forever isn't it mommy <laughs> like it's like no it's not like yeah here we go <laughs> you guys are quite an amazing team with that we'll take a little break and we'll be right back continuing to be a leader in the field of spiritual care at the end of life Hospice Chaplaincy provides high-quality professional development webinars that will improve your practice of spiritual care at the end of life. Check out our latest webinars at www.hospicechaplaincy.com. I'm Sole Berman. We continue our conversation. Could you read us some parts, your favorite parts in the book? I know it's your book. It's your baby. You love every part of it. But can you read a couple of parts? Um, Hallie, I'll, I'll go ahead and read. So the, the book, just as a context, is a different piece of advice from the day that I die to the end of Hallie's life. And uh, it's at intervals there with events that I, that I thought were either significant or just going to happen, you know, when she has children and marries. And, and this is early on, this is day 21 after my death called Take a Hike. Uh, your parents' death is nature's way of breaking the shocking news that it's your turn next. I think of it as being next up on life's diving board, 
preparing to jump or be pushed into a bottomless, unfathomable pool. This should not come as a surprise, but somehow it does. And when you lose someone close to you, it may hit you with surprising force. This is not a day for swimming. Go for a walk in the woods instead. Think about the raccoons and bears and foxes who live and die there. They aren't the least bit worried about life's diving board. And after a while, you'll get used to the idea too. Why go on if we all just die in the end? There's a great reason. If you knew you were going to live forever, imagine how much time you'd waste. Amazing things can happen when there's a deadline looming. Hmm. Powerful stuff. And that, that honestly was from when my mom passed away in 2003. I looked at my sister and one of my first thoughts, you know, after the initial grief was, um, oh my gosh, we're next up. And I had that, that that's what struck me uh, that generationally you're now in line for the, you know, the, for your own passing. So do you want me to read one more? Song? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, this is a little one, but I'm very fond of this one for some reason. This is a, a this is called Day 4000, Think of Me Unexpectedly. And this is a scene that Hallie illustrated with a car trip in the where she's a young girl sleeping in the back of the car and there's a, a, a song playing that's kind of lovely and um, it's very short. It just says, grief isn't the only, and the, the, uh, the girl is flooded with the the comfort of the environment um, in the car with mom driving in the song it says grief isn't the only byproduct of a death and death isn't just subtraction you're left with a treasure of memories that can be triggered by sights sounds smells a record of how my life enriched yours hmm. Hmm. and powerful words so Holly, you're—I mean, you're here. You're hearing Mom read this. How do how do you how do you how how do those words hit you? I know. You. <laughs> uh, it's now that there's time between our working on it, and yeah. you know, enough time has passed where it can really hit me as a reader. Yeah. It's it's pretty incredible. It's. It's like I I, I want to find the page, but I I illustrated that based on a real memory, a memory that was pretty big to me, and so yeah, to hear it in the context of this book, I I found the page. Yeah, like how hearing a song can transport you totally back to a memory and it's pretty wild to me that we did this and yeah. it's a book now <laughs> it is and uh it is you know you, your illustrations are, are spot on powerful the words there's also a lot of humor <laughs> you guys have found a way to talk about this uh, with amazing sense of humor and clarity you know, straight to the point and um, how you're helping people talk about. I know uh, collaborations, your relationship has also helped in building this work. 
So when you're working on this, were you looking at it more as a work of art, whereby you are not so emotionally connected, or were you just jumping beyond uh, between art and emotion, allowing yourself to feel some of the words you're writing or the words you're illustrating? Well, for me, it was um, uh, it wasn't clinical, but it was very much a project because I was fitting it in with my magazine work, uh, work and we we did it in. We did three separate weeks of writing time together in different locations so that we could concentrate away from my work and her work. And um, I was not particularly emotionally involved until uh, we got pretty deep into the book. And I, although my, my, my thought was it needs to be very true to the exact advice I would give my three children, it, although it's predicated on mother-daughter, I wanted the advice to be for my all three children, and it had. And Hallie and I agreed that it had to be absolutely true, without regard to what other people would think of my advice. But then people understand when they read it that they extrapolate it that their parents may offer very different advice, or they to their children. And that's it's a conversation starter was the intent, but based on me. And I I got very emotional when I, as you said first understood what I would miss in the absence of being here on this earth and that my daughter would carry on. And it honestly didn't really strike me until I, we, we were writing a passage called um, uh, your, your first birthday and your first birthday without me, which these mm. key anniversaries are painful for the people left behind sometimes. Yeah. And so when I realized that she would have a birthday without me at some point. I was, I was just overwhelmed by it. And uh, that then it became much more emotional for me. And I became more deeply emotionally engaged. It wasn't just sort of another journalistic endeavor. It became yeah. very personal to me at that point. So Hallie. I think that for me, at least um, as an artist, I, all my my work, my work that's close to me is so deeply personal and it's it's art and there's not a there's not an either or it's sort of the alchemy of how I how I write and how I draw is is like this is where it all goes and this is where this is there's it's like some kind of system where like I process my hopes fears dreams ideas humor like all of it is through my work and that thankfully my mom works similarly and there's I, I you know I'm sure I learned so much of it from her this the the relief of being able to express something that feels deeply true. It has turned out to be uh, a powerful work of art or a powerful document. In a sense, right now, we are all highly, right? And uh, it's teaching us a lot. If someone you know is suffering from mental health issues and could use some support, please call the National Alliance for Mental Illness Helpline. It is a free nationwide peer support service, providing information, 
resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. To contact the NAMI helpline, please call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264, Monday through Friday, or send an email to info at nami.org. This book is going to help a lot of people uh, in trying to bounce back, but with also a sense of humor. Like I, like I look at the title of Day 26, allow me to explain the stuff you found while cleaning my house. Obviously, you're going to find some stuff. <laughs> Did I just saw the title and I began to laugh. I'm like, of, of course you're going to find something. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is the role of humor in, in dealing with grief for you, especially as you write this? Holly, let's start with you. I think that, you know, before we worked on the book, that was always a part of our, like, dark sense of humor was like, debating at the table whether you should get cremated or buried or like you know those different conversations that's like we're not saying death isn't a serious thing kind of everyone is saying death is this really serious thing that shouldn't be talked about and so I think to to speak of it with humor and especially to use illustration and to use art to talk about it is a way of like relieving some of that serious energy, that energy that's gonna like suck you in. Cause I think if if our book was just totally straight faced, totally like just like treating every aspect of it as if it was deadly serious, like I don't know how we could help someone who was in so much pain. Humor is powerful, even in grief, even you know we have to laugh somehow because this it provides healing, you know. So there's room mm -hmm. for humor in every sphere of life. We shouldn't always laugh when we are feeling good. The way I look at it is, um, if I imagine my kids at my graveside, or and and they're uh, okay, they can cry for five, five, ten minutes. They can cry for a, a day, but I'd much rather be looking back at them and this plane from wherever I go and say like oh now they're laughing now they're beginning their healing journey there's a balance there because you know a lot of times people you know maybe somebody dies over a period of years that the, the there's all manner of loss that goes on and how can we possibly expect to have a a, a vibrant life without that balance and I want that I want to say even in the worst of times, we can find something, whether it's poking fun at ourselves, which is often the case, right? Because we do dumb things and, and say dumb things and, um, or just finding the humor in a really difficult situation in order to, to bring the balance back so that your life is more in balance. And when I imagine my kids going on without me, I want that for them. I want a lot more laughter than I want them to be feeling the pain that I know will come their way across the course of their life. Yeah. But I certainly hope that's broken up with much more, you know, I'd like to see a 70-30 ratio of, of happy <laughs> Yeah, maybe an 80-20. I mean, 90-10 seems too optimistic, but I'd like the happy times and the 
and the effort to find the joy and the and the and the funny in things because um I always remember my mom, this is, this is kind of an aside, but my, my mom, it, shortly before she died, we got her hearing aids and it really was good for her. And then one day she walked by and, and she just, she leaned over the, the toilet walking by in the bathroom. They just fell in the toilet. So we just looked and we go, wow, that's $500, but we couldn't save them. <laughs> so, you know, my, my poor mom, you know, she wishes that didn't happen, but it's just all along this way of aging and, and, um, and family issues. There, there is a lot of humor to be mined, I think. Both of us, you've modeled for us uh, how to live, how to die, how to grieve how to build resilience, to bounce back. What are your final thoughts? Let's start with Harley. I just feel so grateful that I have a mom who I could even share A, my fears with, and B, this specific idea, and that not only could I feel comfortable to share that, but that it could be received with like a, okay, cool, let's do it. Um, <laughs> yeah. There are so many people out there who cannot speak about death openly with their family. I've heard from people who gave this book to their parent and the parent got very upset. Hmm. There is a lot of taboo of of this subject and when you said at the beginning Susie you're you're a parent to all of us or or you're you're a mother to all of us i i certainly feel so so grateful to to have my mom as my mom and also that other people through this book get to share in that and get to share in here is a safe space where we can feel what this feels like we can talk about it and we we definitely had an intention that you know even there are people who cannot talk to their parents about this maybe they don't have a mom who they would think of for advice or that you know maybe they don't have a close parent relationship that you know that that looks like this and this book is kind of a mom in a book and that's mm. you know that's that's part of part of what we created it as and i just yeah i feel so so grateful to be my mom's kid because it's it's like how i have the freedom to not be locked inside my own feelings because mm. the alternative is that i felt afraid of losing my mom and then I stuffed that feeling down deeper and deeper. And then I'm just carrying that with me. And I didn't have to carry that. I, yeah. I got to make something of it. And I, I, feel, I feel so grateful for, for that opportunity. That is so powerful. Susie, America's mother, through this book, <laughs> you've, you've adopted many Harleys right now. What are your final thoughts? <laughs> I love that. Well, my, the, the most beautiful thing that has happened, the book started as a family project, but then we sold it and it, be, it felt very more universal. And then um, the reception to the book has 
left me feeling that the the beautiful part is it's a conversation starter even with people for whom those conversations might be difficult uh, so people are taking the book and they're bringing it to their own parents and saying, would you talk about this with me? There's a hunger for legacy. There's a hunger for finding when you're gone. I'd like to know what was most meaningful, what you found value in, what you were proud of, what you were not proud of, what you wished was different, what you hope happens in the next realm. You know, what your whole worldview is so important as a legacy and what I'm so happy about is that this has allowed people to have some of those conversations. And, and um, that has been the most gratifying uh, thing that I've ever been involved in because the idea that families can become closer, even late, even when they, they can build closeness later by agreeing to have conversations that maybe weren't on the table before. And I hope that's what this can help accomplish. Do you guys have a, a, a website for the book? Or they can... um, yeah, the book is available anywhere books are sold. Um, it's I, I, on my website, halliebateman.com. You know, the book is there. And um, I'm on social media at Hallis Bates. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a Hopkins Susie. And we love, we love to talk to readers. Awesome. So thank you very much. Thank you so much, Saul. It's been a great conversation. <laughs> that was Susie Hopkins and Holly Batman. Their book is What to Do When I'm Gone, A Mother's Wisdom to Her Daughter. Thank you for listening. This show was brought to you by Hospice Chaplaincy, promoting excellence in spiritual care at the end of life. This episode was recorded at Audio Hive Podcasting in Julia, Illinois. You can find our podcast everywhere podcasts are available. If you enjoy listening to the show, please don't forget to give us your feedback by writing a review on iTunes. For more information, please visit www.hospicechaplaincy.com.